Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning. Who's excited for church? If we have not met, my name is Ali and my beautiful wife and I, we started this place six years ago. And on your screen, if you watch, these are videos of the last six years of us as a church. And we have been in, can you believe, 11 different locations. Uh, we have been portable. We went per- permanent at 5 o'clock. We've done church in a parking lot, on a rooftop, in a community center. You name it. As long as Jesus is there, the, the, the Spirit of God shows up. Amen. And uh, every year we cast vision on where we want to go as a church and the direction in which God is leading us. And I want to invite anyone who calls Bold Church their home church. Anyone part of the dream team? Come on. And those of you that have not yet gone to Growth Check, but you maybe in your heart you consider this church your home church, I want to invite you next Sunday right after church, November 19th, in this room, 15 minutes after service, we're going to have a brunch where my wife and I, we're going to cast vision on where we're going as a church. It's not Vision Sunday, which was in September. This is more like, where is the vision taking us, like, practically? And I want to communicate our, our year-end offering. would love for you to RSVP to be a part of that. We kind of cast vision on where we're going and why we're going there. would love to invite you. And to, are you guys ready for God's word today? Come on. Uh, Some of you may have heard the email or received it. We are talking about a very, very controversial subject. And we are in a collection of talks called Attack the Elephant. And we're attacking things that are blocking you from placing your faith and trust in God. And often in our culture, we avoid these things. We don't talk about these things. We, 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 We don't talk about the elephant. At Bold, we want to attack the elephant. Amen? And then we started this collection of talks with, why is God so hard to find? And then we went to, if God is good, why does he allow evil and suffering? And then we, we tried to address the question, uh, if, is God of the Old Testament a bloodthirsty, vindictive egomaniac? Trying to make it a little bit provocative. And last week we answered the question, what about, is Christianity oppressive? And today is no different in terms of its shock value. And I believe we need to answer this question as a culture and as a church. And the question is really this, as a faith community, you want to answer the question, what about Jesus and transgenderism? And really the question is, what is, what is the Christian response? If you're not a believer here, none of what I'm saying today applies to you. These are for those who call Christ their Lord and Savior. You are a follower of Jesus. What should our, be our response? I just want to begin by saying, I'm not going to look for a political fight. I'm not the one bringing this question. This question is being thrown in our face in every public sphere of our our culture, in our schools, in our bathrooms, in our universities, in the public squares, in everywhere you go as Christians, we need to be able to address this question. And at the same time, acknowledge we don't have a Jesus problem. We don't have a a Bible problem. We have a, a representation problem. And often we have not represented Christ accurately. And sometimes we, we have been too mean, and, 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 and we will hold the truth. And other times we, we let go of the truth, and we try to be loving. And we have to live in the balance of both, because Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And as a pastor, I just need to let you in on some pressures that I feel as a pastor. Now, maybe you don't even realize. I have this pressure to shut up and not talk about this. I get emails, why are you talking about this? If you talk about this, I'm going to leave. And I, I, I feel that. And I always say, hey, don't let the door hit you with a good Lord split you. Come on. I, 
Because what often happens is pastors will stick their head in the sand and preach soda pop messages, messages that are just feel good. And it's not the whole counsel of God. I, I got to preach what God, this, I didn't write, I'm just the mailman. If you don't like the mail, you go yell at him. And at the same time, in an effort to be loving, in an effort to be liked, often we'll put the scriptures away and I'll capitulate the truth because I want to be loving to you. And there's this pressure to change or to shut up. I just want to acknowledge, I'm going to try to live in the tension of saying things you may not want to hear, but I'm going to try to say it in the most loving way that I can. Because at the end of the day, I'm a human. And I have people in my life who, we have people at our church, we have had people in our church who have gone through this. And uh, I've spent the last two years preparing for this message. I'm, I feel ready. I'm not preaching this because I'm picking on anyone. I'm not preaching this because I want to be political. I want to be biblical. And because of that tension, I, I want us to all begin with prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. God, would you join us right now? God, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word so that we would know you better, we would love you more, and we would represent you well? God, we may have walked in one way, but we want to walk out another. And if you believe that everybody said, everybody said, I know this is a complicated issue, so I want to begin by asking you to use your imagination. Imagine you're a 10-year-old boy, and uh, you're, you're a little bit different. You don't love trucks and war movies like your dad. You don't want to watch football. Instead of playing with guns, you want to play with dolls. And instead of wanting to watch uh, slasher movies and action movies, you want to watch rom-coms. And you're not, you're not like the other boys in school. And you've always felt a little out of place, a little bit different. And you've always wondered, but you've never verbalized it. Why do I not like the things that other boys like? Let's begin with your imagination. Maybe you're a 10 or 11-year-old girl and uh, you prefer, listen, blue jeans to dresses, short hair to pigtails, monster trucks to manicures and makeup. And you've never felt comfortable in your body. You've never felt comfortable playing with the things that other girls play with. And you've always wondered, is it me? What's wrong? And let's say these two people go on social media and they begin to see someone, begin to communicate their pain, begin to communicate this struggle that they're going through, that they are themselves, they feel like they're in the wrong body, and for the first time in your life, you're hearing someone explain what you've always felt your whole life. And this girl online is transitioning. And it, it shocks you that she's actually finally doing something with the pain that she's dealt with her whole life. And you watch video after video, watching, and you're learning terms like dead naming. The, the old name that she used to be called, now she's calling herself a new name. And you're watching that sometimes... People in this community, they're, they're gender fluid. That one day they're a boy, the other day they're a girl. And the overwhelming response is positive. And for the first time in your life, you've connected with people who know what you're going through. And everyone supports them. And they're finally doing something about it. And you're watching from a distance and they look happy. And you haven't been happy in a long time. I want you to imagine that maybe you're a teacher. And there's a little boy in your school that you've... You've known him since kindergarten, and now as a fifth grade teacher, he comes into your classroom, and he's no longer a boy, he's a girl. And you're, you're supposed to call him, not just by his name, but use his pronouns, and, and you refuse, because you know he's a boy. And let's say the teacher suspends you and sends you to training, and training you don't want to do, and then let's say you're fired, because you are unwilling to use the pronouns that the culture demands that you use. Let's say you're the parent of a young child, a child that you conceived. I... I've never had a 
a baby in my tummy. I had a big burrito from Taco Bell, but that's different. But I remember holding my child in the hospital, both of them. And before I even heard them speak, I was willing to die for them on that day. The, the love that a parent has for their child is, is, is unexplainable. Imagine this is a child that you raised. This is a child that you named. This is a child that you watched walk, watched talk, and one day your little boy comes home and says, Mom, I need to talk to you. I'm no longer your little boy. I'm your little girl. And that name you gave me, you can't call me that name. That name hurts me, Mom. All my friends call me by this name. All my teachers at school call me by this name. And you're shocked because you think your daughter's confused. You think your son is confused. And so you go online and you begin to research and you realize that parents that don't affirm their children, sometimes depending on which state you live in, you can lose custody of your child. So now you're afraid and you realize the people in this community that, that if they don't go along with their child, their child claims depression and claims suicide and the parents are often blamed. And now you're not just shocked, you're fearful. What do you do? And every time, the more you do research, you realize that 82% of transgender individuals have considered killing themselves. 51% of transgender individuals have already attempted suicide. And the overwhelming narrative is that it's the fault of the parents. And now you're scared out of your mind. What do I say? What do I, what is the Christian response to this Question, imagine for a moment you're in the fifth grade, and one day you come home and say, hey, mom, dad, they installed tampons in the boys' bathroom. Dad, can boys have periods? What is your response? Let's say you have a daughter in high school, and you were there when she was six months old, and you were teaching her how to swim, and other kids played soccer and baseball, and your daughter loved swimming from the young age. She continued to swim her whole life, and now she's on the varsity swim team in high school, and one day she comes home with tears, tears in her eyes, and says, Dad, I quit the swim team. And you ask why? Because when we were showering after practice, Dad, we were in the, the girls' locker room, and thankfully I was in my big suit, and a boy came in, Dad, and he got naked. And Dad, we saw his penis, and we went to the principal, and we talked that he shouldn't be there. The principal yelled at us, Dad, that he's a transgender boy. He's allowed to be there, and that we're the ones that need to change. Dad, I quit. I don't want to be on that team anymore. Imagine you send your nine-year-old girl to the library at school, and she comes home with this book, American Girl, teaching little girls how to have a positive body image, something that a lot of girls struggle with. And let's say you open up the book just out of curiosity, and there's a whole section on transgenderism telling your little girl that if she doesn't feel comfortable, that she should cut her hair and wear boys' clothes. And if your parents don't accept your new identity, here's a number to call with an adult that will tell you and accept you how to live this new life. Now imagine one day you, you get an email from the school that they're going to have a book reading at, at your local elementary school. And you're like, oh, cool, my four-year-old's going to read a book from a, a parent, an and you realize the parent is a half-naked man dressed in drag. The school didn't ask for your permission, and you just need to go along with this. And the reality is none of these are imaginary. These are all real stories that I've been reading and collecting for the last two years. And I just want to ask, what are the emotions that you're feeling? Let me just acknowledge the wide range. Some of you are angry with me that I'd even bring these examples up. You think I'm a bigot. You think I'm dumb. You think I don't understand. Others of you are shocked. You didn't even know this is happening. Others of you, you've been following along, and you're angry. 
And I want to communicate, the, the devil, he knows the word of God better than most Christians. And what he's doing is he's taking the playbook of God and he's using it against us. How do I know this? Proverbs 22 says this, start a child off in the way they should go, start them young. Because children are impressionable. They don't know if you're lying to them. It's not if you give them truth or a lie. It's who gets there first. That's what matters here. That's why he's starting them young. Because he wants to get there before we can get there. Start them. Start children off in the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not depart from it. And he's found a way through the public schools, the school system, Disney, Adidas, Target, to indoctrinate. An entire generation. And how far have we come? I wrote like this. Christians are more nervous to tell the truth than to tell a lie. And I'm being told to shut up even before I get here. I'm being told if you preach that subject, I'm leaving. And that should make us angry that we can't talk about the things that the whole culture is forcing us to just go along with. And I would argue that there are two emotions, that if you have emotionally healthy spirituality, that oftentimes we have one or the other, and we need to have both as mature Christians. And those two emotions, it's on the screen, are empathy and anger. If you are only angry, you're off base. We all know people who are always, they're angry about everything. It rains, they're angry. It's sunny, they're angry. There's traffic, they're angry. And those people never lead anyone to Christianity because it's not the, the anger of God that led us to repentance. It's the goodness and kindness of God, amen? And people who are only angry, they're just mean. And at the same time, there are people that lean towards the empathy side, that in an effort to be loving, in an effort to be full of grace, they give a license to sin. And then they bless what God does not bless. And they affirm what God does not affirm. And the scriptures are so clear. Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. That's why in John 3.16 it says this. For God so loved. He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you before you came to church. When you were getting drunk. When you were getting high. When you were living your life apart from him. That's when he loved you. Not when you came to church and read your Bible. But when you were his enemy. He loves you. God so loved the world. How much so that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him will not perish. And that's the truth part. That apart from Jesus, we will perish. I wrote like this. Grace is that he came. And truth is the reason that he came. That we need to be forgiven. Heaven is not filled with good people, but forgiven people. I'm just as guilty as anybody else. And I need forgiveness. And God didn't give it to me because I deserve it, by the way. He didn't give it to me because I earned it. That's the grace part. He gives me what I don't deserve when I didn't earn it, when I need it the most. That's biblical love. I want to speak for a moment to the people in this room that you may lean one way or the other. And I would argue that if you have empathy but you don't have love, let me tell you, anger. If you have empathy but don't have anger, anger is an appropriate response sometimes. There are things that stir the heart of God towards anger. There are things that hurt his children and moms and the weak and the innocent, and God is stirred to anger. If you don't believe me, look at this. Uh, Romans 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness on people who suppress the truth. God doesn't just get angry when we do sin. He gets angry at people who lie, who suppress. They know the truth, but they don't want to talk about it. And then Ephesians 5 says, Do not be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey. 
Numbers 12, verse 19. This is my favorite verse in the Old Testament. The anger of the Lord burned. You know who it burned against? Moses, he's the leader of Israel, and he's got two siblings, Miriam and Aaron. And God loves the firstborn more than the second and third. It's a joke, by the way. And they tried to upsurp him and remove him from leadership. And there are times that that anger is an appropriate response. When I read the story of Riley Gaines, a female college swimmer, who began to swim at the age of six months with her father, was supposed to be the number one college swimmer she had been training her whole life. And then a 400th-ranked boy on the Penn State team switched his gender in his senior year to become Leah Thomas, and he became the number one swimmer in college collegiate sports. And she wrote these words. First of all, no one asked us how we felt about competing against a biological male. And then to add on top of that, that we too were in the locker room We were naked, and Leah Thomas walks in, a biologically fully endowed man. And he's naked in front of us, watching us change, and nobody asked us for consent. And then ESPN gives him an award for being brave, and nobody cares what us women think. That ought to make you angry. Jesus, he's not just the God of love. There are times it is appropriate response to get angry. Look what it says in Luke 17. It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall and to say, let me reword this and modernize. It would be better to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea than to be a librarian that hands a little girl a book that gives her a spirit of confusion for the rest of her life. There are things that make God angry. When you hurt the weak and innocent, if you don't get angry at this movement, I would question, do you have the spirit of God in you? And at the same time, if you only have anger and you don't have empathy, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because you you ought to have empathy over the things that God has empathy. In John chapter 8, there's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. Just visualize that. She's having sex with a dude. A bunch of religious crazy people walk in, rip her off this dude, put a towel around her, and throw her in front of Jesus. And they say, Jesus, kill her. That's what the, the law demands. And Jesus says, okay, he who has no sin, throw the first stone. And one by one, this angry religious crowd, they all leave. And where the crowd wants judgment, the crowd wants anger, Jesus offers a hand of mercy and empathy. There are things that cause God to be empathetic. If this, the things that you see in this movement, if they only make you angry, you may not have the heart of God. That when you realize that 70% of those in this movement detransition, The number one group in America right now that is transitioning is 13 to 16-year-old girls. Many times they are cutting off their breasts, taking puberty blockers, which is literally preventing them from having puberty, sterilizing their body. If God can't kill you in the womb, what he will do will kill your ability to reproduce life. And 70% of these girls say, I don't want to do this anymore, and they want to go back. But their body can't go back. And if your heart doesn't break, I wonder if you have the Spirit of God in you. I wonder if you can look at this picture on the screen. Second year of our church, a girl by the name of Todd came to our church. I get emotional thinking about her. She never wore a dress in high school, never wore makeup. She identified as a man. Within two months of spending time with my wife, my wife would tell her, graciously, you're a girl. God's not angry with you. He loves you and has a plan and purpose for your life. 
on the day of her baptism, Todd wrote a letter. You can see that letter. And she said, today I'm no longer Todd. I'm going back to my name, Amanda. That doesn't make you emotional. I wonder, do you have the Spirit of God in you? Or the words of Andrea Long Chu, who was a biological male who transitioned and had surgery to remove her male genitalia and had it replaced with female genitalia. And she said this, until the day I die, my body will regard my vagina as a wound. As a result, it will require regular, painful attention to maintain. This is what I want, but there is no guarantee it will make me happier. In fact, I don't expect it to. Dysphoria feels like being unable to get warm no matter how many layers you put on. It feels like hunger without an appetite. It feels like grieving. It feels like having nothing to grieve. And when you read those stories, if you only feel anger, you might need to ask God to remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I wrote like this, Christians ought to be the most empathetic, caring, kind, and compassionate people on the planet. And at the same time, I wrote, and we must also tell the truth. It's not one or the other. It's both at the same time. And this culture, listen, wants us to remain silent. And every time we lie, we speak the language of demons. John 8 says this, when he lies, he speaks his native language, his native. There is a language in heaven. It's called truth. And there's a language in hell. It's called lies. You're not just lying. You're speaking a foreign language that God doesn't want you and I to speak. Isaiah 5 says this, woe to you who are, who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. I want to answer the question, then what is transgenderism? Let's, let's just define some terms so we are all on the same page. Today is November 12, 2023. I have no clue how these terms are going to change in the next six months. These terms are constantly changing. I'm saying today, this is what these terms mean. The first term is sex, which means biological male and female. Just like in Genesis 1, it says we were made in God, the image of God. God made us male and female. According to the scriptures, there are two genders. I know according to Facebook, there are 72. According to the scriptures, there are two. And even biologically, on the basis of reproductive organs and structures and chromosomes, this is the, 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 the scientific definition. For thousands of years, science says this. Sex is a male is, is one X and one Y chromosome, and a female is two X's. Wow, she'll cut you twice. That's why. Not a lot of jokes. I'm trying the best that I can to relieve the tension. Then what then is gender? Gender is defined like this. It's a person's self-perception of whether they are male or female. And if you notice, this is the first time in human history we are separating gender from sex. For, two th for thousands of years of human history, those have been the same thing, and now we are divorcing. A biological male say, I don't feel like a male. I feel like a woman. This is my gender. That is my sex. Or a woman could say, I'm a biological woman, but I don't feel like a woman. I'm a man. And the moment you separate these two, Rebecca McLaughlin, who wrote the book Secular Credo, says this, if we separate gender from sex, all we are left with is stereotypes. The one thing we need to understand about the transgender movement is that the transgender movement is built and depend on stereotypes. Boys like trucks, girls like dolls, boys wear jeans, girls wear dresses, and this is the definition of gender dysphoria. It's on the screen. It's the feeling that there's a mismatch 
between my physical sex and my gender identity. And every time I speak on this, people say, what about this, Pastor Ali? And this is the example they always bring, intersex. Intersex is a person born with an anatomy that does not fit the typical definition of male or female. And there is a difference between these two. Often with intersex, you are having a, a surgery to take the person back to the gender they were assigned at birth. You're bringing them closer to their sex. With transgender, you're moving away from their sex. That's the difference. There's another term we need to discuss, which is gender fluid, that a person with a gender is not fixed. It's not static. Today I'm a boy. Tomorrow I'm a girl. And that's the world we live in. Some people identify as gender fluid. And the question is, well, how many Americans think this way? Well, according to statistics, 60% of Americans say that gender is determined by their sex and assigned at birth. That means 40% of you need to lean in on what we're teaching today. That 63% of Democrats, 13% of Republicans affirm this idea that gender can be fluid and is not determined by your God. It's determined by how you feel. Which we means we need to address this question, what is the transgender struggle? There's a documentary that I encourage you to watch. It's called Transgender Kids, Who Knows Best? And the, here's the quote. At the heart of the debate about transgender children is the idea that your brain can be at war with your body. That who I am on the outside doesn't match who I am on the inside. That what I'm seeing and feeling on the inside is that I feel like I'm in prison. I feel like I'm at war with the outside. I'm in the wrong body, and it's not a one-day struggle. It's a daily struggle. And my flesh wants to do this, but I want to do that. And I want to just pause for a moment. That sounds so similar to Christianity. That there are some people in this room who know exactly what that's like. That you came out of a lifestyle, smoking, drinking, watching things, and then Jesus shows up and says, hey, your body now belongs to me. And you're like, ah, oh, I want to do this, though. And there's this battle. It may not be the battle of transgenderism, but you have a battle. And it's the same battle that even me as a pastor, that I don't even think I can win sometimes. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 7, For my inner being I delight in God's law. But there's another there's another law at work in me, waging war. Paul did not write this as a transgender man. He wrote this as a human being. Welcome to the human experience. That God gave me desires to do this, and my flesh wants to do that. And it never goes away. Let me just explain. The moment you become a Christian doesn't mean like everything becomes rosy. Like, what? If it's that way for you, what are you smoking? Pass some to me, please. Because following Jesus is hard. I want to kill some people on the highway. Talk about, I am. I need to pray just to go into Target sometimes. I want to put my kids up for adoption at 9.30 when I've told them for an hour, go to bed. And I wonder, will I go to jail as a pastor for killing my kids in the name of Jesus? And I'm not trying to make light of this war that transgender people feel. I'm just acknowledging that every person feels this battle. And some of you have a proclivity towards weed, towards porn, towards... You, you may stand on a scale and never feel thin. You may look in the mirror and never feel big enough. It's a war. It's the human condition. And as followers of Jesus, 
many of us are at odds with the person inside of us versus the Spirit of God that wants us to do something different. And so the question then becomes, what should our response be? Christ tells us to give us the truth and grace. Not to be silent and change the scriptures. Not to be mean and not loving. And often what happens is the culture tells us to shut up, to keep our mouths shut, to be loving, to be empathetic. Just go along with what we're going along with. And you see, it's hurting people. That's why Dr. Erwin Lutzer says this, in order to have propaganda, you have to learn to live with lies. And everyone knows that we are living with lies, but are expected to. That men can have babies, women can have penises. It's absurdity and we know it. But we're forced to go along with it and conditioned to be comfortable with it. Now, this is where you need to realize transgenderism is not just about terms. It's an ideology. It's a worldview that is diametrically opposed to the worldview of the Bible. And you need to understand, this is not just against God's spiritual law. It's even against, like, biological, like, human nature. Like, think about this term I put on the screen, evolutionary adaption. It means it's a means of preservation in order to improve a species' chances of survival in changing environments. I remember when I was in elementary school, we learned about these moths that were introduced to a country in Europe, and all the trees in that European country were white cedar trees. The bark was white, but these moths were brown. And these moths were dying at rapid rate. And so the moths begin to change the color of their wings from brown to white. Why? To survive. That's what evolutionary adaption does. You do something to survive. The problem with transgenderism, you're doing something to kill yourself. You'll never see that in evolution. You'll ne- and I'm not even talking about the origin. I'm talking about evolutionary adaption. But we're called to just go along with it. And how deep is this ideology? It's on the screen, one in five, born between 1996 and 2010, identify. Give you some statistics. In the, the, the tr- traditionalist, it's 0.8. The next generation, the baby boomers, is 2.6. Notice how it's doubling. Gen X, the next generation, 4.2. The next generation, which is the greatest generation ever, my generation, that's 10.5. And the modern generation, Gen Z, is 20.8. And according to these statistics, all of us will be gained about 20 years. It's a joke. But no one's laughing. But the reality is, if you notice, it keeps doubling. When for thousands of years in human history, it's never been above 1% or 2%. So where do you explain it? This is a social construct. This is what happens when you get to kids young, and you train a child in the ways you go, and, and when he gets old, he will not depart from it. And the the dirty secret that no one wants to tell you is that over 50% of gay people go back to being heterosexual after the age of 65. But we're not allowed to talk about those. We're told to shut up. We're supposed to suppress the truth. And for those of you that are more visual learners, here's an image for you to see. This is why this past June Target promoted a children's bathing suit for girls featuring a tuckable section for, for male genitalia. That's why in the same month, Adidas promoted a women's bathing suit by putting an African-American male fully endowed, bulging in that bathing suit. Why? We're just called to just go along with it. And we're told to shut up. And the question is, what should our response be? Before I get to their response, I'm going to answer one nuance of this movement. And it's this question. What about pronouns, Pastor Ali? What about pronouns? And this is where it's debatable. 
This is where you need to pray yourself. And I'm going to tell you what I've decided to do, but you, this is an open hand issue that does not matter which side you're on, but I would encourage you to pray about this. I will use your name. I will not use your pronoun. And let me tell you why. Because if you're a boy and you want me to lie and call you a girl, you're asking me to speak lies. And God wants me to speak the truth. And the problem is that you just want me to submit because that's what I'm going to offend people. People are going to be upset with me. But this is not the first time in church history that these issues where we are offensive to the culture have happened. You know what happened in the first century? It was not just murder. It was not just death persecution. It was, there were lower level persecutions too. There were cultures, there were some cities in Rome where if you, if you were a Christian, they would throw you in jail. They would cut your head off or put you on a stake and burn you alive. But there were other cities that were a little bit more lax. That you might lose your job, but you can get another one. You can keep your job, but you'd never be promoted. Or if you stuck in that city, you would instantly lose half your friends. Why? Because you had to eat meat sacrificed to idols. That's why there's all these examples in the New Testament. Don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. Why? Because that was the culture. That's what made was so offensive to that first century. And Christians had to make a choice. What do I do? And they asked Paul. They wrote to this, they, they sought God. And Paul, again and again and again, he says, you are a Christian. You're called to live to a higher standard. So imagine you're at someone's house and their God is Jigglypuff and they cook the steak in a certain way and they bow down and oh, it's our Jigglypuff God. Now they go, now it's your turn to worship our God. And you're like, mm, this is a little sus. If you gave any pushback, you would be canceled. Any pushback, and that was considered extremely offensive. And in the same way, I acknowledge that by not using your pronouns, it's offensive, but I'm called to live for him. And Numbers 23 says, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. I want to be more like God than I am like man. Does that make sense? That's where you need to pray. Because maybe for me it's easy to not use pronouns, but maybe your job, maybe your you can't, even, you can't even keep your job if you don't use pronouns. You were sent to train to use them. I'm just saying this is a debatable part. This is not black and white. There are things that are debatable. And you need to pray to the scriptures. And this is why I love Christianity. It's not a checklist. You're not supposed to do what I do. You're supposed to pray to the Jesus. And he'll, he'll convict you and tell you what to do. But I want to answer three questions at the heart of the transgender movement. The first one is who am I? Second question is, where do I come from? And the third question is simply this, how can I be happy? How can I be happy? And are we here by accident? The first question is, who am I? Am I here by accident or am I here by design? Am I here, was I just a single cell in the ocean that became a dolphin, that became a half dog, half dolphin, then went on the land and became a, a monkey and then became a human and just became smarter over time? Is that me? Or did God make us male and female and he placed us here? Who am I? You need to answer that question. Why are we here? And no matter where you are in this conversation, I need to tell this to everyone. You are the Imago Dei of God. You are made in the image of God, in his likeness. A good God made good creation. Genesis 1 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, that's the Latin word, imago Dei, he created them, male and female. You are a child of God, made for God 
made in his likeness to live with God. You bear his image. And no matter what label you place on yourself, his love for you will not stop. Whether you're black or white, rich or poor, gay or straight, transgender or intersex, it doesn't matter. You are made by God, you are loved by God, and you bear the mark of God. Rebecca McLaughlin says this, stripped of belief in the creator God, modern secular thinking cannot give us a coherent account of what a human being is. While we are more than just a collection of cells, or why we are any different than the animals. No wonder it, it being secular, can't tell us what it means to be male and female. You are made in the image of God, and it gets even better. I have a spirit, a soul, and a body. In the same way that God is three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you and I are three in one as well. It comes from 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the, our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. You are made male and female in the image and likeness of God. And they say this, there is no biological chromosomal evidence to suggest that any person has been born in the wrong body. You may choose to separate your psychological self from your biological self, but according to the word of God, you are created on purpose for a purpose. That's why Jesus says this in Matthew 19. Have you not read... In the first century, they come to him asking a question about marriage. And in that culture, let me just tell you, there were six genders. And Jesus says, I already answered this question. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And this is where I get pushback. But what about what the Supreme Court said in 2015? What about the law of the land? Yes, but we have a higher law than the law of the land. I submit to Jesus And this tells me I'm made in the image of God. Question number two. Where do I, where did I come from? And this is really the heart of the transgender movement. Is they don't like their body. And I just want to speak to the similarities. It's not just the transgender movement that has a low view of the body. If we're honest, some of you in this room, you don't like your ears, you don't like your nose, you don't like your hair, you don't like your, your height. Our culture in general has a low view of the body. But the scriptures, it has a very high view of the body. Why? Where did I come from? God gave me my body. And if God gives me this gift, James 1 gives me the theology. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. So if God gave you something, it has to be good. And it gets even better than that. Psalm 139, you created my innermost being. You knit me together on purpose for a purpose. I praise you. Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And it gets even better. Not only is my body a gift from God, when God left heaven and became a man, he didn't come as cast for the ghost. He came with a body. John 1 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Not only do I have a body, 
Because God has a high view of it. It's such a high view that the creator of heaven clothed himself with a body. And it gets even better. For thousands of years, Israel would worship God either in a tent or a building. And the moment Jesus died on a cross for us, this body that I don't even like becomes the temple of God. Maybe my view of my body needs to match God's view of the body. That he thinks it's so valuable, he wants to fill it with his spirit. It gets even better. One day when we're in heaven, it's not going to be like those cartoons where we're all little babies, we have little wings, and we're shooting arrows. We're not spirits in eternity. I wrote like this. I will be given a new and glorified body in the new creation as Jesus who is in heaven has a new and glorified body. Philippians 3.21 says, And God will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That your body in heaven will be a perfect version of the one he gave you. It will not be the version that you transformed here on earth. When we are in heaven... It won't be the crippled version of you. It won't be the blind version of you. It won't be the deaf version of you. It won't be the limping version of you. It won't be the scarred version of you. It'll be the perfect version of you. And there's only one person in heaven who has a scarred body, by the way. Jesus. For some reason, he chose to leave the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet to show us what it cost him to bring us home. That's how important the body is, that God chooses to live all of eternity in his resurrected body. That's why Rebecca McLaughlin says this. In the Bible, men and women enter the kingdom of God as men and women because they are in Christ. Both men and women are made in the image of God rather than seeing our bodies as a prison to escape. The Bible asserts that the spiritual being became flesh in the person of Jesus, not for a time, but forever. The promise of Christianity is not a promise of an everlasting pro- procorpial soul. It is the promise of a resurrected body. And the last question, maybe if you're asking this, well, Pastor Ali, how will I be happy living in this body if I can't change it? And that is the very question. How can I be happy? And there are two answers to this. One, the culture, and one, Christianity. And the scripture's answer comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't just copy what the transgender movement is doing. But be renewed. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will and scriptures give us a path to happiness and it may not feel happy in the moment but I would tell you if the transgender movement is is promising what it can deliver then why are 70% of transgender youth leaving and detransitioning because it's a false promise and the scriptures say it like this offer your body as a living sacrifice and this is where the scriptures come in direct conflict with the abortion movement and the transgender movement. My body, my choice. And the scriptures teach something very different. 
my body, God's choice. It's different. Where a transgender person says, Dad or Mom, if you don't agree with me, I'm going to cut you out of my life. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm going to change my body. The scriptures say this. Don't change your body. Renew your mind. And that's why they are in direct conflict with one another. Pastor Ali, what if I do this? What if I trust God and it doesn't satisfy? I just feel like my feelings are going to bring me more happiness. Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. You better be careful if you trust yourself. Dr. Paul McHugh, psychiatrist at John Hopkins, says his treatment should not be directed at the body as with surgery and hormones any more than one treats an obesity-fearing anorexic patient with liposuction. The treatment should strive to correct the false problematic natures of the assumption. And this is an article that came out this week, front page news. Next slide. That gender-affirming care is dangerous. The doctors that created this movement are coming out and saying, it's not helping. It's not helping. And this doesn't deny the war that's going on in the bodies and the hearts of many. So we can't just give this truth and not put our arm around people and walk with them. But there's going to come a moment in our culture where they will, I just believe, this is me speaking prophetically, we will be canceled. People will label me a bigot. They'll turn their back and they'll leave. And the truth is there will be a wave of people in our country saying everybody lied to me except for the church. You're the only one that told me the truth. And I believe there's going to be a revival in our country when you walk out this ideology and realize it does not satisfy. Life with God does. That's why it says in Proverbs 3.13, Happy is the one who finds wisdom. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Happy are all who hold her near. No one wants to talk about the number of people that are detransitioning because our media is suppressing the truth. That's why in Psalm 119 it says, Happy are those who walk in the law of the Lord and look to him with all of their hearts. I want us to do something right now. I want every eye closed and every head bowed. I know this is a difficult message. Maybe you're here in this room and you're struggling with everything that I'm saying. Maybe you're not dealing with this issue, but you're a family member. Or maybe you're watching online and you feel like, why would God create me this way? Maybe you've transitioned or you're thinking about transitioning and you're just not happy. Wherever you are in the process, I want to pray. Lord, by the power of your spirit, the presence of the living God, would you fill the hearts of those, God, who are not happy, who are unfulfilled and hurting, who are confused, God, maybe be angry with me. Would you flood their broken heart, Lord, with your presence? Would you whisper to them, 
how much you love them. That you have a plan and a purpose for their life. Holy Spirit, would you minister to those who are hurting, who think my words are offensive, who can't hear the truth yet. But maybe, Lord, that you would use my words to reach them. The truth is that all of us in this room have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There aren't two groups of people, those who are straight and those who are not. There are two groups of people, those who are forgiven and those who are not. I want to extend this invitation that the God of the Bible loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He made you. He gave you that body, and he understands the war that's going on. And he extends an invitation. Would you do life with me? It won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. And this room is filled. This church started with eight people. Seven of us didn't get saved until our 20s. We've tasted the world. It doesn't satisfy. So God had us create a church for the outcasts, for the misfits, for those that thought, is there anyone who understands? And you're in this room not by accident, but because God brought you. And the living God wants to have a relationship with you. His name is Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is that God left heaven 2,000 years ago and he became a, a man in the person of Jesus. And he didn't come to give us a book. He didn't come to give us buildings. He came for one reason, to die on a cross for our sin. And salvation, having a relationship with God is not something that you and I can achieve with good works, being a good person. It's not achieved, it's received. And as a person who calls himself a Christian, you place your faith in Jesus, that he did all the work for you, that he died on a cross for your sin. What do I got to do, Pastor Ali, to be a Christian? Simply believe. Call in the name of Jesus. Repent of your sin. And I would give you an opportunity for those in this room to do that with every eye closed and with every head bowed. And you want to start, and you've never prayed this prayer before, you want to start a relationship with the living God. That's you, and you feel this tug on your heart. I just want to remind you, you're not saying yes to me. You're not saying yes to this church. You're saying yes to Jesus, the one who made you in his image. On the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up. Shoot your hand up. Amen. Just pray this prayer out loud. Everyone, thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you've lived a sinless life. And then you died in my place. I received your gift of salvation. I repent and turn from my sin. Turn from my way of doing life and place my faith and trust in you. 
Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.